I was raised in a hotel. My my parents both owned hotels in the Lake District. And I spent all my time, if I wasn't at school, you know, when I came home from school, I'd be in the kitchens. And it was a, it was just my natural environment. I started off wrapping cutlery and um, buttering rolls and, and worked my way up. Hello and welcome to episode three of My Signature Dish. I'm Ollie Horn and this is the podcast where I interview inspiring home cooks about the dish they are most proud of cooking. Find out the story behind it and pick up a few kitchen tips along the way. If you're one of the handful of people who has listened to both episode one and two and are now making a habit of listening to this podcast, hello, welcome back. And if you're just joining us, then I think this episode will be a great place to start. This is my conversation with John. John's originally from the UK. He moved to California to pursue the American dream, working for a Fortune 500 company. I think that's the first time I've ever said Fortune 500 out loud. That's the kind of word you read, isn't it? Uh, But John continues to harbour a huge interest in food due to his extensive exposure to professional kitchens as a young man. This conversation starts with me asking John about what this Englishman cooks in his Californian home. It, you know, we live on grilled meats and salad. I mean, that now the weather, you know, the weather's above 70 on a consistent basis. Uh, certainly in the South Bay, it, it's grilled meats and salads most nights because it is simple and it's clean and it's healthy. And are you uh, doing anything special to the meats normally? Do you marinate them? Do you... What's your what's your prep for your proteins normally? So, um, I'm I'm not a big man. I'm all about the, the the quality of the beef. So I, I raise beef. I used to uh, as, as another hobby. I, I had a, a farm. Um, we were producing uh, doing genetics. So we were producing better um, bulls, and we were essentially semen farmers. Uh, but I had an appreciation for for Galloway, and and so if it's red meat, I want it cooked simple. I don't want don't even put pepper on it because that will bring bitterness. Just salt and heat and love. No half, oils? Half a pound of butter doesn't go amiss. I mean, that's, <laughs> the, 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 uh, you, you want to get that caramelization on it. But no, I, I, nothing, nothing fancy. Now, now, when you get to something like a tri-tip, where it's a very lean cut of meat, well, in that case, a little bit of oil, but there you want to cook it under its own heat. So, you know, flash it on the bars for two minutes, ultra, ultra hot, Double wrap it in... Uh, are you familiar with Alton Brown? No. So he's an American cook, chef, entertainer, and he almost looks English. He's got a bow tie and everything. And so you grill it, you double wrap it in foil, and then you leave it the hell alone for 30 minutes. And it'll just cook under its own residual heat. Really tender. I had the most incredible tri-tip sandwich uh, at a, um, a deli called Ted's on... I think it's 11th Street or just off 11th um, here, here in San Francisco. And they've obviously, they've obviously just cooked it for hours because it's just so soft. Mm-hmm. And when you get your sandwich, it's kind of, there's a big pot of it and they've just let it to kind of stew mm-hmm. in its own juices. Mm-hmm. And this is peppery. They've obviously put loads and loads of, oh, yeah. they put loads of seasoning and rub on it. I'd never had this cut before. Um, or at least maybe I had had this cut, but not known well, it's it's so the, the tri tips just not something you see, you know. And I can't imagine going to Atkins and the Butchers on Colworth High Street and asking yeah. for it. It's just not a cut that 
uh, is that well known. But they've got a particular style here. So when you talk about Marini, they call it Santa Maria style. Now, all I know is it's, it's tomato and chili based. Um, onions, shallots, cilantro. Oh, I should speak in English at this point. Um, coriander, uh, not cilantro. Very good. Oh, wow. Um, I'm such a bad American. And uh, Eggplant, yeah. what's that? Uh, disgusting and flavorless and never to be consumed by a human being. But in normal English? Aubergine. Very good. They just can't stand the French. I think that's what it is. And I, <laughs> and I, I, I applaud that, obviously. Uh, <laughs> and so you, uh, you say that you always serve your meats with salads. Do you do any special dressings? It, it, we're really just high quality oil and really good balsamic. We're, nice. we're kind of boring. There's an American thing which is, you know, chunky blue cheese and, oh my God, ranch. Don't get me started on ranch dressing. It's like, we thought mayonnaise was just too exciting. <laughs> and and it's the only salad dressing which you can get at McDonald's to dip your nuggets in it. Sounds nice. It's It doesn't even have... And here's the thing. What is a ranch dressing? It's just... I don't know. Is it made with buttermilk? I think it is. It's 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 beyond boring. My yeah. wife did it. My wife doesn't like salad cream. Hein salad cream. I tried to introduce her to talk about thirty minute meals. Fish finger sandwich with cucumber and salad cream, which I don't think there's a I mean it won't get you into culinary school, but it'll get you through culinary school. <laughs> And uh, feed you while you're studying at culinary school. Oh, I, but my she tried salad cream and she just she didn't understand it at all. So what? Um, I, I'm always interested about sauces, right? Because because I, I think different countries uh, have hugely different attitudes towards sauces. And what we would call a like what we would call a gravy, for example, is very different to what say uh, an Indian might call a gravy, to, which we would call a sauce. Here they have dipping sauce, they have side sauce, they have jus. What do you think is distinctive about the British approach to cooking something and then covering it in some kind of sauce? We can't help ourselves. We cook a bit of gammon, parsley sauce. Cook a bit of beef, cover it with gravy. Cook some sausages, onion gravy. And yeah, the French will take an onion gravy and turn it into French onion soup. You just put a gruyere chip on the top and you're good to go. No, I, it, it, there's, the British clearly... At some point, we desired a lot of moistness. We could do a joke about teeth at this point. Maybe it's because our teeth aren't sharp enough. We need extra just, juiciness. <laughs> just need to suck it through the holes. So, so, John, tell me about your journey from the UK to here. What were you, what were you doing in the UK before you made the move to the states? So, I always worked in. I've always worked in security since the day I got thrown out of school for being involved in security in the wrong way. I was given a choice: prison or military intelligence, essentially. And, and uh, you, if you told me which one you went for, you'd have to kill me? I could kill you for any number of reasons, but you seem like a nice guy. Okay. Right. Um, no, I... I, I so I, so I you was got a, kicked out of school for being a naughty hacker? Twice. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm a double zero, but, you know, I don't get the license to go with it. Um, so I, I, I got thrown out of school, and, my old, and I, I joined up the RAF, and I was too tall to be a tornado navigator. My, my uh, head would be too close to the canopy. Um, right. Is a haircut you won't recover from if you had to eject, <laughs> and uh, and so I, I went to Paris. I trained as a chef of the cuisine de Nord. Um, and and, was, and so what what was that? What, what was the catalyst for that? Because it seems like a world apart from someone who uh, who is causing mischief uh, on computers to wanting to to go abroad and know how to cook. What what was the relationship between you and food? I was raised in a hotel. My my parents both owned hotels in the Lake District, 
and I spent all my time if I wasn't at school, you know, when I came home from school, I'd be in the kitchens. And it was a, it was just my natural environment. I started off wrapping cutlery and um, buttering rolls and and worked my way up. And uh, and what did you think of 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 the chefs as a young boy? Were you were you looking up to them? Was that a lifestyle that you wanted to have? It, it wasn't. I, I went absolutely. You've got to. Be, I did not have any inclination whatsoever. I did it for my pocket money. And I mean, you've got to bear in mind the chefs back then. It was um, you know Delia Smith. Um, this is before she taught us all to cook an egg. Um, this was old Delia Smith. Rick Stein wasn't even a thing at that point. I'm like John Tovey. I don't know if you remember a guy called John Tovey. He was famous for the hundred clove chicken. Um, garlic. Hundred yeah, hundred girls, hundred cloves of garlic in Sounds a single really nice. chicken. Um, and it was new, you know, nouveau cuisine. And, you know, this was when uh, the, the Gavroche was uh, in its, uh, you know, this this is the nineties and the everything that's coming from the Rue brothers. You know, Heston Blumenthal still at college is still in culinary college at this point. It's you know, it's a uh, these were the dark days. This is when things were either boiled to within an inch of their life, or it was nouveau cuisine. And so, were you, was this a good hotel? It was uh, described as a country house with rooms. And so, you know, the food was, a lot of the food was local, uh, locally sourced because it was cheaper. You wouldn't have to get it from Manchester. Um, And it was very traditional. You know, it was, you know, we had a restaurant uh, that was Nouvelle, you know, buttered carrots. And there was a pub as well, which was, you know, pies and chips. But the pies were handmade. You know, I, I learned how to make a steak and kidney pie from scratch. And were you eating this food regularly then? I'm 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 not this skinny by accident. I, um, <laughs> I've yeah, I would, we we did. So my mum and dad were really clear about this. Is you know we went. So a treat. This is this tells you a lot. A treat for me and my brother was to go to the little chef every two weeks. My mum would drive us out about I don't know about twenty five miles out towards the motorway. Yeah, we really lived in the middle of, to go to the little chef. Just for our American listeners, how do we describe a little chef? Denny's. Okay, worse than Denny's. Denny's is the bottom of the food chain. Right. I mean, but I, do, I do remember one story. So this tells you everything about Little Chef. So my mum said, I'll have an omelette. And they said, we've run out. She said, have you got any eggs? They said, yes. Well, can you make one? No. <laughs> That's all you need to know. They don't make omelettes. Okay, they defrost so, them. so basically you were, you were so used to eating great food at, yeah. your, at your parents' restaurants that pigging out on on processed junk at Little Chef it was, a, was your idea of fun. Yeah, our babysitter Mary used to bring us homemade bread. We thought that was fantastic because it was different to what was in the hotel. And did you ever get a chance to cook when you were a, a young boy? Yeah, I trained. Yeah, I, I, I was. Me, me and my brothers used to. Me and my brother used to work the weekends in the in the kitchen. We would, you know, we'd hit the deep fryer and we we did. We used to do the prep work. So we'd be, you know, because they do. I don't know. Uh, couple of hundred covers a night yeah so you know that's a lot of spuds need peeling and um, and so while you were doing this you had no ambition to no, it was just pocket, to it was just pocket, pocket money it was just pocket money and so then you uh you don't manage to complete your a levels because you uh were doing something naughty with the school computers yes you don't want to go into that it's not good for a podcast all right no, was, no was it really one... bad were you were you arrested or anything it, it involved a three-frame anima- animation of a gentleman having carnal relationships with a chicken. Right. And and uh, and it being shared with 250 kids under the age of 15 on 
it, it, it was it was stupid. It was puerile. But presumably you were doing this prank not because you wanted to share this lewd image uh, of of a man pleasuring poultry, but rather uh, you wanted to prove that you could you could hack the school's computers. I feel better that you said the word pleasuring poultry. That sounds much better than the description I've been given for the past twenty five years. Um, that maybe the chicken enjoyed it, but I I just did it because I was I, I was bored and frustrated and. You know, I was like, I, you know, the, the teacher used to come for me for advice on how to run the computer system. I right. was just frustrated and stupid. So you uh, you leave school, briefly in the RAF. They say, sorry, you don't fit in our planes. Yep. Then you go, right, I'm off to Paris. Yep. Had you ever been to Paris before? Nope. Why did you pick Paris? Because you knew there was loads of culinary schools. Nope. It was, um, the, the only, it was, it was literally the only place I could go. Um, I wasn't 18. I had to have, had to be signed off by my parents. Um, I'm paid for as well by them, and um, <clears throat> that was that was the that was the choice because I was it was the only place that would take an admission in the middle of uh, in the middle of a term. And what what did you what did you learn in culinary school? It's first of all you learn discipline. Um, I think that was in fact in, of all the things that stayed with me, it's been the di- the discipline. Um, I, I think there's only one other person in this life that I have been as scared of and respected as much as chef. Um, and that, that, that was the, the discipline. So when, when you're putting together your mise en place, it has got to be perfect. Uh, your, 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 um, your scallions, your spring onions uh, must be perfectly chiffoned. Uh, I didn't even know this, um, that um, there is a specific measurement difference between a baton and a julien. Um, Enlighten us. I, I, so a baton is um, a quarter of an inch, and a, a julien is um, the width of a fingernail. Okay. Um, I can't tell you, that it's one of these weird things, but you know, it, it's, I still got my battle scars uh, from, uh, from, from chefing. Um, so I have no feeling in my right finger. I severed the nerves. In the, oh, goodness me. Was that a knife accident? Uh, it was a mandolin. I sliced clean through it. Oh. Always use the guard. Um, oh, but it uh, makes a great party trick when you've had a few drinks and you can shove a knife into your own finger and like, oh. Oh, doesn't that hurt? Oh, I can do this. Gym. And then, you know, the drink. Um, no, it, 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 there was, it was the discipline. It was the structure. It was the... And it was very much like the army. There's a reason why they call it a chef's brigade. If you've ever read Anthony Bourdain's um, semi-autobiography, what's the original book? Um, oh, it's gone out of my head. It's the first one he wrote. Um, it'll, the minute I stop thinking, it'll come to me. And he talks about this brigade experience, about this band of brothers, and it was. Were you talking about food? Were you all enthusiastic about food? You know, it was really strange because you had moments when, so you're really into, so, so Chef would tell you, these um, these langoustines were landed in Brittany this morning. They're the freshest. They are the best langoustines. Um, big shrimp for our American friends. And uh, and he'd be he'd be poetic about them. He would weep over them. He would tell us, you know, how lucky we were to be able to clean them. Whereas we were looking at four hundred pounds of shrimp that need to be cleaned, and so it gave you a very right you would look at this and that's where the discipline came in just to do it. And then at the end, after you've cooked these things, after you've drowned them in butter, obviously. That's why French food is delicious. 
Oh, it's the butter. Yeah. It, it's, um, it all comes down to the phrase, uh, monte le beurre, served on butter. You know, cooked, prepped with cooked tin and served on butter. Uh, and then you would realize where he was coming from. It, it also, you know, tasting frequently and seasoning as you go. You know, it, it was all these things. It's weird the things that stay with you, but the the it's not an appreciation of food. It's an appreciation of the... The process. The process. And so tell me about when you were in Paris, surrounded by all this incredible food, surrounded by... Uh, all of these new ingredients you were being exposed to. What were you eating on a day-to-day basis? Crap. Absolute crap. So you've got to bear in mind that culinary school is, to the French, is like military school. So, you know, breakfast, breakfast was very French. It was French bread, strawberry jam and butter, coffee, uh, in a bowl, and that's one of the things I one of the things. So, you know, what you and I would think of as a cereal bowl, the coffee used to come in that. Mm. It wasn't just strong. I mean, it could restart a stopped heart. Um, this stuff, you could stand a fork up in it. Uh, this is before I became familiar with Turkish coffee, and uh, and so you'd have that, and that was a shared meal. And then you know, then you'd, you'd go into class. And you'd learn techniques and you'd do things. And you'd be tasting all, you know, if you're cooking something, you'd be tasting. And then um, lunch was usually just whatever was in the fridge. Uh, and it was a shared smorgasbord. And then we would have, and then we would prep for dinner. And so the, the school did dinner, had a restaurant attached to it. And we would cook each night. That's when we, we joked about being, you know, the happiest unpaid labor in the world. And so we would do a family meal beforehand and depending on chef's mood um we would either um we'd either make a giant cassoulet of leftovers uh, we were good at leftover cooking i'll give you that tell, uh, tell me some of your leftover secrets oh well there's no such thing there's there's oh well, my leftover secrets add butter uh, <laughs> butter will make everything taste good uh, chicken, oh, chicken. So chicken thighs and chicken wings can be made amazing, and actually should be cooked twice anyway. They're always better after that second cooking. Stew is always better on the second day. That is true. Um, that goes with the al pastor as well. Take it home, leave it, reheat it tomorrow. Be even better. A, a day old burrito is not the same thing though. Yeah. Don't do that. Rice gets soggy. Uh, rice gets soggy. Yeah. So rice, if you're going, if, you, if you're going to do rice, you should always leave it open. Yeah, to dry out. So it'll dry out. You can add moisture, but you can't. Uh, you can't remove the funk. Um, no, these were these were all weird things, and you know, just yeah, always fried fried leftovers were a special thing. Oh, we used to fight over. So oh, here's a stupid thing. So I don't. We I, we don't. So here, uh, at some point, we're going to talk about potatoes because it's in my signature dish. And here, I use um, Yukon fingerling potatoes and they're incredibly waxy and rich mm. of course in europe it was jersey royals and jersey new potatoes and we would fight over those and the quite a few times if they if, if we were serving them and they came back like on someone's plate they hadn't eaten all their potatoes you'd grab them yeah we did i'm, I'm not going to be I'll, I'll be honest with you those would be put into a tupperware bucket Along with all the ones that didn't go out. Oh, that's great to hear, though. I, I, I like I like the idea of some snooty French person sending their food back and uh, 
Well, they just didn't eat it. And so that was going to make the richest Spanish omelette in the morning. Eggs, onions, tomatoes, potatoes. So simple. Yeah, yeah. Because um, the, the French don't really do spicy, so we didn't add any hotness to it. And what kind of foods do you enjoy cooking now for pleasure? So I live in the South Bay. I live in San Jose, and we have you know almost year-round summer. So it's all about cooking outside. It, it's all about the grill. I love my grill. I'm an American in that regard. Love my grill. I got a I got a ten burner with uh, with side burners so to keep my sauces uh, oh, wow. going or you know to keep my barbecue sauce. That's better than most people's kitchens at home. It's crazy. It's you know ever so you know a couple and probably we're going away for a few weeks, but uh, by the time by the time this goes out, I'll have my outdoor fridge out there as well. Um, I regret that I'll be leaving this part of the world. Yeah. So you're cooking outside a lot. It, believe it or not, so make my, I make my own burgers. That's, that's kind of what my friend, everyone knows, 4th of July, Memorial Weekend, we have a big party. We live up in the hills. We have, we have property. I don't really have neighbors. And, uh, and I make my own burgers. Crucially, they are stuffed burgers. And they're stuffed with gorgonzola and uh, caramelized onions. Now, I will, I will take a 30-pound bag of onions and reduce that over 15 hours the day before. Goodness me. So what, they become almost kind of golden and solid and oh, it's sweet. Just, it's just... Oh, and, and, and I reduce... And with beef stock, obviously. Um, Very so, nice. And, and so it's just... And then so you, st- so you make these stuffed burgers and they're stuffed with that and I fire them and then I actually fin- I cheat and finish them in the oven so they maintain their structure and... Can I tell you what I do with the reduced onions for a burger? Reduce them down. Mm-hmm. I'm not as ambitious as you. Maybe three or four hours is the maximum I've ever done it. And at the very last moment, slice up very, very finely some blue cheese. The gorgonzola that's in the burger. Well, exactly, right? So, so this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that my uh, recipe has been validated. They are natural friends. Right. So, But what I do is I put this, uh, put this gorgonzola in. Well, I put, the, I put any blue cheese in with these onions because it, it just about melts. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got the tang contrast with the sweetness. It's, it's, it's all balance. So you've got the tanginess of the blue cheese with the sweetness of the onions. And it's just heaven. And that, that's seasoning for really good beef. And you put this mix inside your burger. Yeah, I got this special little um, stupid little um, burger stuffer. Right. So you, it's a press. So you press it down, and it makes a well in the burger. And the other side, when you does that, makes the lid, uh, the, the burger lid. So then you 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 put it together, and you sear it. You pinch it. You know, the, the crust is what holds it together. Yeah. But then you the the the, you, you, the problem is you, you'll overcook the burger if you do it on that heat. So you sear it, seal it, then you throw it in the oven. Okay, and why do you sear it first, then put it in the oven, rather than the other way around? To keep get it to stick together. Oh right. This is not. A, this isn't a fancy sous vide reverse sear oh, okay. situation. This is practicality. This is just you've got to get the you've got to glue it up, lad. You've got to burn it to to glue it. And what else are you adding to this burger? Salt and pepper. That's that's all we're doing. There's and no garlic. There's no anything else. And how do you assemble it? You toast your brioche buns. I'm not. Proud, they come from Costco. They're good. <laughs> they're not handmade. They're not sourdough. They're they're brioche buns, and uh, they get toasted. 
And then I, I'd put out a salad bar because everyone's different. Okay. The only thing you will not find is pickles. I'm with you on this, with the exception of making a special sauce. So I had my first in and out last Can we year. say remoulade just to... You know, test Re- test the intellectual remoulade. Mm. Is that what is that what a special sauce is? It, it, if, if it's mayonnaise and tomato, but if it's if it's if it's a if it's even a cousin of a of a McDonald's special sauce, then it's a remoulade. Remoulade. Well, I've learned something here. So the what I tried to replicate the In and Out sauce, which I had, I did so with pickles, right? Mm-hmm. Very 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 finely diced, mm-hmm. mayonnaise, tomato ketchup, um, some juice from the pickles, right? Some of the some of it's like. What's that called? The brine, is it called? Pickle juice. But pickle yeah. juice. Yeah, but pickle juice makes it sound like I'm sque- like squeezing a pickle. Uh, <laughs> the juice that the pickles came in. Some people think it's a cure for a hangover, by the way. Uh, American mustard, salt, pepper, and then uh, crushed roasted garlic I put in. Uh, and I think I got pretty close to the In-N-Out special sauce. There is. I, I think you're close. Uh, the, the, the In-N-Out burger is is one of the better burgers. How do you feel about the French fries though? Because this is the I this is like, like this is the marmite. People either love them or hate them. I was told by a good friend to get them well done, mm-hmm. animal style, mm-hmm. which means they fry them for a bit longer, yep. and then they cover them in caramelized onions, mm-hmm. cheese, and, and the their special, special sauce. sauce. Mm-hmm. And before they put the special sauce on, they've grilled. Yep. Uh, I think if I were to go again. To be honest, there's a lot of burgers in San Francisco I haven't yet tried, so I'm not going back for a while. Mm. But I think if I were to go again, I'd, I'd focus on just the burger, and I would get a triple-triple. Not a double-double, but I would ask for three patties in it, and that would fill me up. I'm No need for fries. I've never, you know what, I'm not, I'm, I'm 300 pounds of, 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 of manliness here. I've never done the triple. So apparently you can go up to four. Yeah, you're allowed to, well, I suppose you can order what you want. Do they, do they pre-warm the defibrillator paddles for you? I think you could, I think you could do with that. That's what, it's like eating two half-pounders. You see, that's, you, you lost me there. I can't do that much these days. I mean, even if I'm doing it, even if I'm doing it protein style in a lettuce wrap, that's just too much. All right, so, let, so we're agreed that pickles don't go in the burger, but we'll allow them in a special sauce. I'm not even gonna. I, I believe that they should. And we have pickles at the house and in the refrigerator. If the wife wants, if my wife really wants them, she can have them. But I'm not going to touch the jar. Mm. I, I consider there's one difference. I had some pickles in Charleston, which I would consider to be light, and they were a sweet pickle, mm. and they were amazing. I'll be honest with you. My line in the sand uh, for a burger is tomato slices. I don't think tomatoes have earned their place in a burger because. Uh, if you want tomato-ish flavor, we've got ketchup, right? And, well, you know, I'm prepared to have this argument with you. Are you that person that put has a full English breakfast with grilled tomatoes and puts ketchup on their tomatoes? Oh, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll have, no, I'll put, I'll have brown sauce on my full English breakfast and I don't mind a grilled tomato. What I don't like is a raw tomato. I'd, I even don't really like having raw tomatoes in salads because I think all you're doing is eating a tomato. It's... N- the I think a tomato is quite arrogant. I don't think it mixes well with other things. Okay, right? we're going to have to. You're going to have to come down to the house, and I will make you my tomato salad and change your mind. Well, I mean, I'm absolutely happy to do this. this I'm, I'm a fan of this process. However, I will not be persuaded that a burger is made better with a slice of tomato inside. What? Oh, I, I, 
I'm torn. I, I agree with you. You can't have the green bit. I, I hate when you get in the middle of a tomato. Yeah. But the sweetness of the tomato with the contrast of the crunch of red onion slices. No lettuce. Lettuce, I mean, it's not like, by the time it gets there, it looks like mold. Yeah. Lettuce and heat's just not a combination that works. But tomato and onion. And, and red onion, not onion. I can't stand. When you get a slice of white onion. Oh, yeah, it makes no sense. I'm like, Unless it's fried as a ring. Oh, that's different. Or, 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 or grilled. Grilled, grilled onions yeah. also work there, but no, just a slice of raw, just a, a no raw white onion is just makes no sense. Have you had the Impossible Burger yet? No. See, I I haven't, um, but I plan to have one before I leave. People are really excited about it. What what I find exciting about the Impossible Burger is I'm so I find meat delicious, and I do think there is a strong moral case for me to stop eating meat, but I find it delicious. Therefore, I'm not doing that yet. You think a cow wouldn't eat you if it had the chance? Uh, sure, but I wouldn't be happy about it. Therefore, uh, my logic has to, to swing both ways. You're ignoring the food chain and just going with moral equivalency. Yeah. Um, I, I think actually the ethical case is more environmental than it, than it is um, moral. But I'm, I am still eating meat, but I'm trying to do so in a better way. Right? I'm trying not to... Um, you know, try not to eat the kind of chickens that had the treatment that uh, that were depicted in your um, sc- in your school uh, presentation. I do think that uh, it's you know the least you can do is buy your meat. Uh, we have to be better at sustainably. Process. But the one thing I am getting excited about the likes of the Impossible Burger and there's three or four other companies here in San Francisco that are trying this is they're trying to make a product that's better than a beef burger. And one thing, and they might not do it, right? But one thing that the meat industry can't do at the moment is say, hey, we are going to radically improve. Like we're going to 10x the quality or the taste or whatever it is, the texture of a beef burger. Because now a cow is more or less set, right? Um, unless we do some really dodgy stuff with, with their genetics. However, the Impossible Burger people are saying, well, we're not limited by what cows are giving us. We're limited only by our imagination. I think that's really exciting, right? I do. And I, and, and it, what worries me is the amount of money. So the people behind the Impossible Burger are raising money right now. This is where we start to sound like San Francisco people. They're raising money right now, and they're doing it at a valuation of $1.2 billion dollars. And, you know, they're making, you know, tofu that bleeds. It's, it's, we, we need, don't get me, we, we should be concerned, especially here in America. Uh, you know, the cost of protein is too low. Costco has been selling chickens for, you know, a whole roast chicken for five bucks for 20 years. It's the cost of production, the, the, the impact it has, the, the runoff and everything else means that, you know, we're, yeah, it's five dollars now, but it's going to leave a deficit for future generations. Right? Yeah, uh, they're paying the in, cost in, environmentally and and in terms of in terms of health. And you know, my I'm probably going to statistically I'm going to die three years younger than my old man, and that's because of the diet I have here, and that's because of cheap. You know, a lot of that's because of cheap protein. But isn't isn't the hope then that if the Impossible Burger succeeds and they raise all this money? Uh, maybe that valuation, obviously the valuation now is speculative, but maybe if they can replace the, like all the protein that we're currently eating from farmed animals. I think it's fantastic. I think it's good, but I think we could do it. There's actually nothing better than a plate of vegetables cooked well. So as long as there's no overshooting. I disagree there's nothing better. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to come back to my tomato salad if you're not careful. <laughs> Um, no, it's so easy to be a vegetarian and you, you only have to look at Indian food to see, you know, 
good vegetarianism. You know, there's, I remember I, there was a young lady in my life 20 odd years ago and I took her, she was a vegan and I thought this isn't going to be good. But we went to this place in Kingston upon Thames and I can't remember the name of it. And all I remember was this curry, this coconut curried thing. And I don't remember what the vegetable was. Shows how it wasn't eggplant or aubergine. And I was like, wow, you can do something with this. Yeah. Now I got a burger on the way home because I was hungry. Yeah, but, sure. Um, well, uh, Marta, who I used to uh, work with, who might be listening to this podcast, she took me to a, a vegan restaurant in London. And what was good about the restaurant was it, it wasn't like, we're vegan, really in your face, vegan, 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 vegan. It was just like really nice food. Um, and they didn't make a song and dance about their veganism. Uh, and goodness me, the food was delicious. Um, that's the way to go, isn't it? John, tell us what your signature dish is. Well, the dishes, the dishes are important, and it, it is the story that goes with it. So it's a, it's a, a dish which my, uh, my mum, my mom, my mother used to make for me and my brother. It was our favorite, and it's a very simple, classically French dish. It's um, pan-roasted chicken breast in a tarragon white wine sauce. But it has to be served with French beans and uh, potatoes. And it's... Uh, and it was just a childhood favorite. It was one that we really liked. And it was one that we served in the hotel. Um, it was always on the a la carte menu. I remember that. So you could eat, you could eat off the, fi- the fixed plea, very fancy in England in mm. the 80s menu. But then on the, as an extra three pounds, you could have the uh, French chicken. And what was special about the way that the restaurant produced this dish? What were you doing to the breast? How were the potatoes cooked? It, well, you know what? It, it, the thing is, it, first of all, it's all about simplicity. So, so my my mum used to my mum used to make it for us, and it was a special. You know, it's what we had on birthdays because it's what we liked. And uh, the thing about it is, it's not the preparation; it's like the, the story. I'll, I'll do you the prep, but so this was the dish which I. Um, when you go to culinary school, you have to do a dish. You have to show what level of skills you've got. And they analyze everything from how you prep, your knife skills, um, through to your pan skills. Oh, so it's like an audition? Yeah. And they watch you from start to finish creating from this dish? From scratch. Can you choose the dish? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. What did everyone else do? I have no idea because I, I joined midterm. This is the, I was the only one. I had oh, three I of these incredibly intimidating French chefs uh, watching me do this. And, and, and so I chose this dish because I could do it standing on my head because I was familiar with it, because I'd done it so many times, but also because I enjoyed it. And things you enjoy, you can put passion into. So even if you do something that might go against the classical recipe, the passion you put into it, the difference you make is, is permissible. That shows flair. Uh, but no, and you did it exactly everything. as as you served it in the restaurant in this audition or whatever it is. Uh, more, yeah, actually, probably better than we did in the restaurant because I was on my best behavior. So I didn't. Um, when you're in the restaurant and you want to do a lot of onions very quickly, fine, but you'll throw them in a robocoop. Um, no, I I handed these. The shallots had done so. As thin as you can do. Have you ever seen the, the, the opening scene in Goodfellas? And he says, uh, he had this way of doing the garlic, so it melted in the butter. Right, well, I want you to imagine now doing 200 pounds of shallots the same way. I, I tell you, that, that's why I don't have knuckles. Um, so you, the, the, the dish is really simple. You, uh, you, you, you 
shred some, uh, finely dice, mints, whatever you want to call it, some shallots. You take the, uh, you take the chicken breast and you want the chicken breast to still have, uh, you want it off the bone, but you want the leg bone on it. Um, I think in England, I think they call it a supreme cut yeah, these days. Just, and d- does it still have the skin on? Nope, skin off. Okay. Skin off, which is unusual for, for the French cuisine, but that's, that's how this one goes. And uh, you dredge it and it's just flour, salt and pepper and tarragon, dry tarragon. And a, quite a lot of dry tarragon. And, and so you're putting the salt and pepper in the flour. Mm-hmm. And, and the tarragon. And the tarragon, and then you're place you're kind of covering the. Yep, it's a dry dredge, so you don't egg wash it or anything like that. Yep. You just use the natural moisture of the chicken, dry dredge, dry dredge it, and then you um, you soften your onions. Don't brown them. Whatever you do, you'll get you know that'll get you excommunicated. Mm. Uh, so you want so so just go translucent. Uh, a little bit of garlic, and I mean a tiny bit of garlic, that needs to hit the pan for about ten seconds. And then you um, put your chicken breasts in. And now, when I say thing we're missing, because this is French, so in American terms, it's half a stick. Sorry, it's it's two sticks in yeah. in British. That would be a half pack of butter um, that goes in there. Well, a lot of butter, then. Oh, it's yeah. So we're making a sauce. This is the, the butter isn't just to cook the chicken. We're making the sauce. And so. Um, Are you essentially then pan frying this? Chicken? We're pan roasting this, right? Just, just hang with me because we're only starting here. Okay. So um, we're gonna leave the chicken and don't touch it, don't move it around at all. We're gonna, we want a crust on the bottom of this. And once it's about right, and you're looking for, you know, that nice little bit of goldenness, then you're gonna turn it over. And at that point, you're making a assessment. Sometimes you'll throw in a little bit more flour just into the side of the pan. That's to thicken later, and you want it to cook out. And uh, and you give it 20 seconds on that second side, and then it's in the oven. Now, I'm afraid I can't remember my gas marks anymore, but these days it's 375 uh, Fahrenheit. What is that, about 210, I guess? So, so it gets thrown in at 375. And I can't tell you the timings because I just know. Mm. Um, it's how long it takes me to trim the beans and, and parboil the potatoes. So it's probably about 15 minutes, 12, 15 minutes. So what's going on in the pan is you're, you're obviously kind of creating some kind of color on the chicken. We're, well, now we're, we've put the color on it. Yeah. We're going to get more color. We're going to get color on the second side because it will just get that from the residual heat of the bottom of the pan. Yeah. This, um, is, pan, this is classic pan roasting. And why do you need to add flour? Well, A, to get some flavor on the chicken, because the tarragon is going to stick with the flour and the seasoning. Second, it's all about the sauce. This is French cooking. Mm. So the reason why my family love this dish, it's the sauce. So we're now going to prep our beans. Okay, and I always do this with French beans. And all I do is steam them. There is nothing special there at all. What has changed over the years is the potatoes. So my mom always used to do these little cubed potatoes. Oh, gorgeous. And I can't love that. Be, well, I love them. And, and they were fantastic. And then we did fondant potatoes, which is just like a fingerling in butter. Now I just do these fingerling butter. These, the potatoes we get here in season, uh, they, they come from the Central Valley, and they are these sweet, creamy, waxy fingerling potatoes. They're a meal in themselves. I mean, literally just butter, no salt. Just butter and black pepper, and they just you can just. 
And 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 the is the way that you cook these fondant potatoes that you you brown them in the butter. I just no these I actually believe it or not I just cut them in half and these days it's really lazy. Yeah. I cook cook I, I cut them in half lengthways, steam them for about two or three minutes. Skin on. Skin on. That's where the flavour is. And then get a pan going, obviously more butter. Yeah. <laughs> and throw them in that so, um, with the uh, flat side down. Because I just want to put, get a crust on them. Oh, lovely! And uh, and then a good whack of sea salt at the end, but not not the beginning. At the end, not in the beginning. Yeah, you don't want to cook me with salt because I, I cook with salted butter. Um, <laughs> go big or go home. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so now our chickens, you know, our chickens now uh, ready to come out of the oven. And we're gonna take the chicken breast out. And we're going to leave the onions and the garlic and all the, the, the everything else in there. And we're just going to put the chicken breast to one side and keep them in a warm place. And now we're going to deglaze the pan um, with some uh, with some decent dry wine, um, either a dry sauvignon or a good Chardonnay. And uh, we're going to put at least half a bottle of wine in there. It sounds like a lot, but we want it to reduce. And the flavor of the sauce is going to come from the white wine, contrasting with the tarragon. Uh, we're also going to add a little bit of tarragon, dry tarragon back into there as well because we want to bring that flavor out. And uh, we're going to make sure we mix it and we're going to get all the, all the, 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 uh, the caramelized uh, gubbins off the bottom. And when that's reduced to a syrup, to a, a fairly thick syrup. So presumably it's taking a while for it to get to this oh stage. Oh yeah, we put some heat on this. We then add... Uh, we then add the creme fraiche. Because <laughs> there isn't yet enough dairy in this dish, is there? There's not. And and the thing is, one of them, you've got to be careful that you don't split your creme fraiche. So the way you do that is by adding, adding butter, with, adding cream okay. to it. Yeah. Um, and so what's the technique for making sure that the creme fraiche incorporates in this sauce? The cream. And and what are you doing? You're adding both. Just whisking. Just whisking. So you add, you've got the bit of heat on. And uh, a little bit, oh, I, should, I forgot, a little bit of bouillon is in here as well. A little bit of chicken stock. Yep. Homemade? Um, no, I actually, I, I'm going to give him a commercial endorsement. It's called, these days I use um, Better Than Bouillon. And okay. it's really, really good. Um, yeah, I, make, I used to make my own stock. I used to have freezer cubes, but I, want con- I don't want liquid. I want concentrated flavor. Yeah, yeah. So this isn't a stock cube because that's just salt. This is actual bouillon. It's only a little bit and it just gives it a bit more chickiness. And uh, and yeah, we're just going to whisk constantly, and uh, and we're going to get that 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 chicken flavour, that tarragon, that wine, through the the cream and the creme oh, fraiche. Sounds amazing. And um, and then we're gonna we're gonna plate. Do you serve this sauce as is? Do you strain it at all? Oh, no, 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 you don't touch it. You just you you just um, it just goes in a pot, and you just slather is the word. So, uh, and you're plating this, so you've got this, this chicken breast, which now it's been in the oven for, let's say, 15 minutes. Is that about right? Yeah, Maybe a bit that. more? Mm-hmm. With green beans, mm-hmm. this sauce, mm-hmm. and these potatoes. To dunk, to dunk in it, yes. And presumably some extra sauce on the side for when you... There's always extra. I, I always, I, I make a point of saying that it, it's all about the sauce in this situation. So we are making lots of sauce. That's why we need all the flavor, why we need the bouillon. Why we have to have the creme fraiche and the cream, and it is lovely. So I, I, I did it. I did this for my uh, my entrance exam, 
And then uh, I did it for my wife a number of times over the over the years. And then when we were we found out we were pregnant, we were preparing for the kiddo. My wife wanted a very holistic, very Californian birth experience, and so we went to see someone called a doula. Um, and her advice was that when she felt the contractions, she should drink half a bottle of red wine. I could like this person, but it had to be organic and non-sulfide. And you're going to take a fentanyl patch, you might as well have red wine instead. Red wine's better for the baby than uh, uh, than fentanyl. And the baby's coming out soon. It's not even going to get drunk, is it? No. Well, I mean, in the kid's English, she's going to develop a fairly good alcohol <laughs> Already got strong tendency. Yeah, good Protestant values there. <clears throat> but... Um, but she also said, you know, while, while you're going through the early things, your husband should make you a meal. So my wife said, I want you to make that dish. This, that would mean a lot. I want you to do the full thing. And then went, okay, fine. So I went to Whole Foods and I got the finest chicken that lived in trees and for a lifetime and, you know, beyond organic. And, uh, and, the, and, the, and the green beans and I got the potatoes. And, uh, and here's the weird thing. My wife decided she didn't want it because... Huh? <laughs> Because the kid was the wrong way around, and the the doula had been doing something called the Afghan scarf technique to turn the baby around inside her, and it kind of moved everything higgledy pickledy, and uh, my wife just wanted a light snack. <laughs> oh no! So I literally, so I'm like, the last thing I did is I took the the chicken breast and I threw them in the freezer, and uh, and we invite and, and after the after London was born, it was about I don't know about a week and a half later, some really good friends of ours, um, uh, the Sweeney's came down and and I went to work and I went full chef mode. I went back to, this was a celebration meal. I wasn't really talking much because I, I love cooking, but when I'm cooking for people, it's much about the, the you know, the, the, the preparation. It's a, a social thing. Um, no better conversation than when you're, you know, than you're chopping celery. And, and I went, but I went and I, I sh- perfectly chiffon and diced everything. I really went to town. And I made this, and I'm looking after the London and my little kid, and she's and I'm changing diapers, and Danica's taking it easy, and I'm doing all this, and I serve the meal, and everyone everyone knows about the sauce. Sue brought a loaf of homemade bread just to dip in the sauce. <laughs> this is the reputation this thing has. And I had one bite, and I'm told this because I don't remember it. I was told, and I do know I did it. Took one bite. And they were talking, and I fell asleep in my chair. I didn't actually eat the meal because I fell asleep, and they just all of the apparently they all of them just looked at me and just said, "Just let him sleep." And it's a uh, that's the best thing about food; it's the family you get to share it with. little bit pompous that ending uh, that was John I really enjoyed chatting to him I hope that you got something out of that I certainly have I don't think I've ever cooked with tarragon before I'm trying to remember a dish where I've cooked with tarragon I certainly don't remember ever having bought tarragon uh, so one thing I plan to do is to go to the shops buy some tarragon put it on some chicken cook it in some butter and see if I get something that's nice I'm sure it'll be a, a flavor that I somehow recognize uh, so thanks a lot John uh, Really, really great to have met an Englishman in San Francisco, especially one so kind and welcoming. So thank you very much, John, uh, for agreeing to do this interview. 
Um, and that's it for episode three. If you enjoyed this episode and you think you'd like to listen to episode four, please be sure to subscribe to wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you particularly enjoyed these last three episodes, please would you leave a four or five star review uh, in your app of choice. I promised myself I wouldn't do this because it's annoying when podcasts ask reviews, but also I would like some nice reviews. So that's that. Uh, thanks a lot for listening and I'll see you this time next week. Add olive oil and butter to a pan.